a question for each of us as we begin today. Are you completely satisfied with your relationship with the Lord? Let me ask that again. Are you completely satisfied with your relationship with the Lord? I'm not asking you if you're saved. For each of us here in this room, I understand that each of you has made a profession of faith. What I'm asking about is relationship. Are you completely satisfied with your relationship with the Lord? Or do you sometimes perhaps often, wonder if there should be more to your relationship with the Lord. Now we know from these scriptures that King David had a very special relationship with God. And though at times David faltered, and sometimes very badly, he still remained a man after God's own heart. Our scriptures tell us that, that David was a man after God's own heart. David truly loved the Lord. He truly loved the Lord. And because of his great love for the Lord, David pursued after him with unyielding fervor. And he said these words in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As I've read and as I've studied through the words of this passage that we'll be considering here in Luke chapter 11, I get this same sense of the pursuit of God that King David enjoyed and that the Lord Jesus would desire for you and me to have this same kind of pursuit as we ourselves pursue after God. Listen to these words of this passage given to us In Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. So I say to you, ask. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So then, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As we've said in an earlier message, when God takes the opportunity to repeat a matter over and over again, then we really should know that it's very important to Him. And that's what He's done here in this passage. Here He tells us over and over again that we are to come to Him, that we are to ask, and that we are to seek, and that we are to knock, and we are to keep on asking and seeking and knocking until His will is accomplished in the matter that we're praying about. And folks, may I reiterate very strongly that these efforts are only possible with those of us who have given our hearts to the Lord Jesus to be our Savior and Lord. This is what family members of Christ do. 
In our salvation, you and I became sons of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. And these efforts of asking and seeking and knocking, they're all a part of family life. The family life that takes place in our relationship with God our Father. Now why do I say that this is only for those of us who have Christ as our Savior? It's because until we do surrender our lives to Christ, neither we nor anyone else will seek after Him. We're told clearly in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Unfortunately, these words are the absolute truth for all of us, for all of mankind. We were all born into this world with a sin-filled nature. A nature that is totally corrupt. And our nature on its own has no ability, no desire to turn and to seek after God and after His ways. And because of that, these words that the Lord Jesus gave to us here in this scripture passage, they're only possible for a person who has first surrendered their heart to Christ in salvation. And then also, and very importantly, in these words of the Lord Jesus, he's conveying another truth about the relationship that he desires to have with those of us who have him as our Savior. These words give us a special insight that he wants to not only be our Savior, but he also wants to be our Lord. He wants to be the Lord of our life. And that is part of that word sanctification that I spoke about earlier. That's our part. We need to surrender to Him for Him to be Lord of our life. Not just our Savior, but also Lord. The Lord Jesus wants to be the one that we turn to for every need and for every purpose. And these words give us a plain understanding that we are not only to have Him as our God, but we are to have a daily, moment-by-moment pursuit of Him and of His purposes. Ever and always pursuing after Him. Persistently asking and seeking and knocking at the doorway of His kingdom. For every purpose in life. And as we do persevere with great patience. We can watch Him, our Lord. Bringing each of the matters that we pray about into fulfillment. All of His purposes bringing each of those purposes into fulfillment. Is that the way you live your daily life? As you go about the simple matters of your daily life, around the house, as you shop, as you work, are you constantly talking to the Lord about His help and about His guidance? Now, while, yes, these words that we're studying here in this passage are speaking about answers to our daily prayer. God is so very wise and purposeful, and He'll use those same circumstances of daily prayer for even greater purposes. Purposes that can then propel us on into that next level of relationship that He wants us to have with Him. 
And he is doing that here in these words, folks. If you'll read them carefully, he's doing that here in these words. Here Jesus is elevating our focus on past the level of just ordinary prayer. Those things that we pray for, that list that we have in front of us each day that we pray for. He's elevating our efforts on into a fervent pursuit of the very person of God himself and a relationship with him. And that kind of a transition doesn't take place easily or quickly. Our personal affinities and our sympathies for those ones that we're praying for, it's strong. And so we'll linger there, keeping our attention focused on needs at hand. But then there'll come a time in the mysterious timing of God that he'll call us, he'll call each one of us to move on up to another level of faith and desire. He'll call us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with himself, into a fullness of his Holy Spirit. And that's when we will begin to cry out to him with different words than we've ever used before. Without even knowing why we would say the words, we find ourselves crying out, Father, give me your spirit. Father, give me your spirit. Has that taken place with you? I can recall one of the first times some years ago when this was really taking place in my life. And I was riding on my lawnmower. I was thinking about the Lord and His wonderful provisions and blessings to me and my family. And I started to cry out to Him, Father, give me your spirit. And folks, that's when these words of verse 13 begin to take place. Now, yes... You and I have had the Holy Spirit abiding within us ever since that first moment that we were saved, that first moment that we prayed to receive Christ and received Him as our Savior. But then, as we begin to cry out to Him more, that's when God begins to give us His Holy Spirit in a fullness that we've never known before. And I want that for you. And I want that for me. He tells us again, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And oh, what a precious gift it is, this gift of God's Holy Spirit. It is the sweetest, most extraordinary gift that we could ever imagine. Yes, we do need bread. Yes, we do need all of those other physical and temporal provisions. But as demanding as all of those are, and as much as we pray for each of those things, those are relatively minor in God's economy. He wants more of us. You know, folks, I don't know what your prayer time is like, but so much of mine is taken up with those physical and temporal needs, emotional needs. And you know, God really does know that you and I need all of those things. He tells us in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall I eat? What will I drink? What shall I wear? He says, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of those things. God knows that you and I need those things of this temporal existence. Now, unfortunately, for you and me, these kinds of temporal needs, they, they do dominate most of the moments of our daily prayer efforts, especially in those earliest years of our Christian experience. The ever-present needs of our body and also all those many emotional demands of our friends and our family. 
They keep our prayers focused on those things. But here again, here again is that mystical interaction of God's sovereign providence and of our own free will taking place. And in particular, it's God's desire that our free will be guarded very carefully and that in all the matters of life, our free will be brought into line with his holy will. And because of that, he wants you and me to reach to his Holy Spirit, not just to find some quick remedy or relief, but to also find all those many other special provisions that abide within him, the Holy Spirit, and especially some of those fruits that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives with him as he comes to live in us. Those fruits like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Now, may I say this again? It is God's ultimate desire for you and me that we would have his Holy Spirit abiding full within us. And it's then, and it's only then, that we'll be able to hold fast to his promises and to not allow all those pressing problems and needs of the day to take control over our thoughts and cares. What I'm speaking about is it just seems like to me that if I could just pray a little bit more about a matter or for a person, that then God will do something for them. Now, yes, he wants us to be persistent, but he wants us to move on forward from all of those many words of prayer. He desires to that we would raise the focus of our eyes up from all of the demanding temporal needs and up from our lust for the things of this world, up from the constant need for approval from other people, up to a consecration of our soul where we might never have been before. And it's expressed for us here in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things that you need will be added to you. Now, no, those words don't imply that we should hold back from praying for those temporal needs. The words of the Lord's Prayer encourage us to bring all of those to the Lord. But what he's saying, in essence here, in these words of Matthew six thirty-three, he tells us, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. They're intended to remind you and me that there is far more, there are far more important concerns that we ought to be tending to in our relationship with God. Matters of our own soul. And he wants us to join him in that relationship. So then, as we do bring all of the concerns of our day to God, We need to be willing to move on quickly, on into a deeper, more important matter, that of our relationship with him. And to do exactly as Matthew 6.33 tells us, and that is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As I ponder these words and as I look back on the usual pattern of my own daily prayer, I confess to you that I have not often done this. More often, my daily prayer efforts seem to end abruptly, immediately after I prayed for those temporal needs. I prayed for all of my family members. I prayed for all of you. I prayed for so many other things taking place all across our world. And I prayed for 
so many who are unsaved. But as quickly as I finish with those, it seems that I immediately then say amen and get about the day. And I recognize, folks, that I need to not do that. You need to not do that. I need instead to move on ahead in my pursuit of a relationship with God. On to another depth of intimacy with Him. Note within these words, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There's nothing self-centered in there. There's no temporal needs being asked for there. He's telling us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He's telling us to come on forward, to move on forward in our relationship with Him. And that's what God wants us to focus our hearts and our desires upon. Upon Him and Him only. But how do we do that? How do we fix our focus, the focus of our hearts and our desires upon God and God alone? To move on forward from all of those things that we think we need on into saying, Father, I want to know you better. I want to love you more. How do we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And again, the answer is given to us here in verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the answer. This is the answer to most all of the questions that we will have. And this is where we must begin. We must first go to the one who knows God best. We need to go to God's Holy Spirit. Folks, here we see the Trinity at work. Yes, the Holy Spirit is God. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of them are individuals. And all of them are separate, but they're also all one. It's one of those unimaginable mysteries. But here he's telling us that we need to go to God's Holy Spirit, who knows him best. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to this. This is describing what the Holy Spirit does. He says, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. It's a mystery. But this is what Jesus was speaking about as he was instructing his disciples to be aggressively persistent and patient as they seek and ask and and knock. Here we see God's ultimate answer to all of our questions and needs. God's Holy Spirit abiding within us, making God and God's desires known to us. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Folks, this is the greatest gift that you and I could ever want to receive. Here the Holy Spirit, who knows the very heart of God, lives within us, and He wants to minister to our spirit, telling us about this, the greatness and the majesty of God the Father and what He desires of us. This is the greatest gift we could ever hope to have. Nothing else compares. Nothing else should really matter to us. 
all those things that matter in all of my life, the career choices that each of us make, our health conditions, all these political struggles that are taking place in our world and, and the political struggles that are taking place here in our own nation. And we get so caught up in those watching the television and wishing that things could be different. And also all these cultural wars and, and our own thoughts about the cultural differences that are taking place right now that clutter and corrupt our thoughts. Folks, listen, all of those things are this earthly realm. And God does not want you and me to be so consumed with our anxieties and our concerns about all those things that are taking place. He instead wants you and me to rise above all of those concerns and to set our minds on Him. How do we know that? Colossians 3, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And so he tells us, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. For if you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Christ, listen, in Christ you and I have been truly changed. We have been truly changed. We are now new creatures. And you and I need to rise above being so caught up in all the matters of our culture and our lifestyle. We have died to all of those things that used to be so very important to us. He tells us that, First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All those things that used to mean so much to us have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. In our surrender to Christ, our old self really did die. And now in Him, we've been born again. We're new creatures. We've been resurrected with Christ into a new life. And a life that is fixed upon a much higher goal. The righteousness of Christ. In our new life with Him, with Christ, God wants you and me to set our minds on one thing. And one thing alone. And that is our pursuit of Him. In one of my favorite books, A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God, Tozer expounds over and over again on that very special point. He encourages us over and over again to live a lifestyle taken up first and ever and always with one pursuit, the pursuit of God. So now, are those words, are they intended only for those people who are in full-time ministry? No. They're intended for you and me. For you and me, the ordinary people of life. Our pursuit of God is simply but fervently to be a deeply indwelling elemental part of all the many matters of daily life where we're asking and seeking and knocking for every matter that comes across our path as the world and its ways take place all around us we're to have our desires set upon first knowing and loving God and upon his plans and his purposes and to do all of those with great Compassion with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Folks, that's the first and greatest commandment. He intends for you and me to have Him first and for our greatest desire to be hungering and thirsting after Him. Not merely believing in Him. We each believe in Him. He's saying, no, I want you to go on past that point. And not just being a faithful churchgoer. That's what you're supposed to do, yes. And not just keeping on asking for things in our prayers. Yes, we're supposed to do that. 
But we're to go beyond that, he's saying. We're to ask and seek and knock and hunger and thirst after the very person of the Lord Jesus. Now, before we close, may I ask again, are you satisfied with your personal relationship with Christ? And let me ask you, is this kind of pursuit that I've spoken about here, is this at all appealing to your soul? Perhaps some of you may still be just hanging around that doorway of salvation. Yes, glad to be inside. Yes, fully saved, but hesitant to move on forward. Do perhaps all the many matters of daily life so consume your thoughts and your affections that you're staying there rather than moving on ahead. Let me say clearly for us that this pursuit of God is God's ultimate desire for you and me to move on past where you are, where I am, on into an intimate relationship with Him. As I've said to you so often, salvation really is only the beginning of that relationship that God wants to have with us. It's only the first words of a conversation. And He wants us to move on past that doorway of salvation on into a relationship with Him. Folks, there are so many, many more steps to take after we're saved. And God really wants you and me to take those. He actually expects you and me to take those steps. And that's where this word pursuit, that's what it implies. It's a fervent and unrelenting seeking after the very person of God, asking and seeking and knocking and never resting, even for a moment. The only way that we can join into that special pursuit is by having the Holy Spirit fully abiding within us. And that, again, is where these words of verse 13 come in. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He wants to do that, and He wants you to ask, and He will give you His Holy Spirit in full. And so may I ask each of us to begin this day and every day by asking God to give us His Holy Spirit in full and without measure. Let me pray.